1997, Harvard Business School professor named Clayton Christensen coined the phrase disruptive innovation. Before that, disruption, which is our word for the day, disruption had always had a negative connotation. Like power outages disrupted our lives. Or children disrupt our sleep. Or illness and diagnoses disrupt the plans that we have for our lives. Well, no longer. Within a few years following 1997, Silicon Valley was disrupting everything with innovation how we buy things from household items to clothes to cars. We have seen changes, disruptive changes to the publishing industry, to the news industry, to the travel industry, to just about everything about our lives. Disruption. Ginger and I recently saw the latest Tom Hanks movie, It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood about the wonderful Presbyterian minister from Pittsburgh, Fred Rogers. It's really not a movie about Fred Rogers and his wonderful life and ministry. It's, it's more a movie about the impact that Fred Rogers had on people, his compassion, his sensitivity, his mere presence and openness to people all helped create a disruption in the way people think about life, in the way people relate to each other, in the way people connect to one another. In one poignant scene in this movie, Fred Rogers' wife says that her husband is no saint. She indicated how he worked hard every day to be who he was. He read the Bible. He prayed for people. He swam endless laps in the swimming pool. He even banged on the piano sometimes, all of this to help him deal with the frustrations that come from dealing with people, all this as an effort to help him become the person that he was and touch so many lives. And here's what one critic says about this movie. Many a movie will make you laugh. Many a movie will make you cry. Many a movie will make you think but very few movies will make you want to be a better person. And here's the thing. As that movie ended for me and Ginger at Bowtie Cinema, the sense of disruption was palpable. Everyone was so polite coming out of the theater. (laughs) Everyone was so unbelievably gracious in a crowded parking lot. (laughs) Everyone was sharing life in such a way that's such a contrast to our culture. We had all experienced a disruption of our selfish, turned inward, often callous ways. Disruption is not a negative word when we're called to be better people. When we're disrupted from our normal, 
turned inward, selfish, often antagonistic tendencies. John the Baptist is the name of the person who appears in all four of our Gospels. John the Baptist is somebody we usually encounter in the season of Advent when we're thinking about and preparing for the coming of God, the dawn of the kingdom of heaven. All the gospel stories are about the coming of God and God doing something drastic and new to bring about the kingdom of God. And the dawn of the kingdom of God begins with Jesus. But in all the stories... There's a man named John who points to Jesus to indicate that Jesus is the one who's coming. John the Baptist creates the disruption, an important and innovative disruption to set the tone for God's coming. So listen to the story of John the Baptist as it comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. I'm reading from chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. And then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to John and all from the region of Jordan and they were baptized by John in the river Jordan confessing their sins. But when John saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. So who is this John the Baptist? Just who is he? Here's what one commentator says. He's dressed like the old age. He's pointing to the new age. His preaching style is vintage old Israel. His message paves the way for the new Israel. He appears to have wandered out of some retirement home for some old prophets. But he announces the arrival of one who's even greater than all the prophets. He baptizes with water of the ancient Jordan River. He promises the coming one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Everything is about to change. The old is passing. The new presses in. The long lost night of hopelessness is coming to an end. And John the Baptist is the rooster who awakens the sleeping world to the dawn's excited morning. 
disruption. That's what it is, disruption. All the gospel stories tell about the coming of Jesus and the coming of the reign of God and all the gospel stories affirm that the new era is dawning and the old is passing away and God's new purposes and new promises are coming to fruition and here is John. John is the hinge between the old and the new. John is the rooster announcing the disruption of the kingdom of heaven. The New Testament scholar Dale Bruner points out how quote twice in Matthew Matthew uses the same present tense verb the Greek verb is paragenite which is translated appears or makes his appearance Matthew uses this same verb and this same present tense even though our translation puts it in the past tense it's present tense for the two main characters that he's introducing John and Jesus. John makes his appearance, present tense, 3-1, and Jesus makes his appearance, also present tense, in 3-13. Same verb. This historic present tense verb, according to uh, Dale Bruner, means that the offices of these men still live today whenever their stories are told. John's ministry is a present tense ministry that lives on in his telling. John's ministry is never meant to be relegated to history, relegated to antiquity. His name, his message, his way intend to be a disruption for our lives, for our lives, for the present time. This is what John says when he comes on the scene. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, there are obviously two parts to John's message, repent, and the kingdom of heaven has come near. I suspect we mostly, maybe, hear only the first part, repent. When we hear only the first part, repent, we might even dismiss it because most of us are not inclined toward sort of fire and brimstone type preaching, right? We're Presbyterians after all. <laughs> repent? You know, if I see a, a big sign that says something like turn or burn, it mostly just makes me sad. That's not the main message of the gospel. If I pass someone at a big public event and they hold up a big sign that just says repent, I'm aware that's only half the message. John's disruption, which is absolutely important for us, present tense applies to our lives includes two things repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near so let's think about the second part first the kingdom of heaven has come near the kingdom of heaven is a way to describe that time that life that era that epic when everything that God opposes, when everything that opposes God's good intentions for human life and for all of creation is destroyed, and everything that expresses God's good purposes for human life and all of creation blossoms, 
the kingdom of heaven has come near. So imagine that. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Everything that opposes God's good purposes for the world and for human life is destroyed and life prospers. What opposes God's good purposes for the world and for human life? Just think about that. What opposes God's good purposes for the world and for human life? How about lying? How about cheating? How about poverty? How about pain and suffering? What opposes God's good purposes? How about abuse of power? How about wealth amassed with a few and most people having not enough? What opposes God's good purposes? How about bombs and terror? How about borders and people in cages? How about depression and darkness that just eat away at us from the inside? How about injustice in so many places around our city and around our world? The list goes on and on. And what would it look like if all that expressed God's loving purposes was lifted up? Peace in our hearts, peace in our relationships, peace in our nation, in our world, as Ginger is talking about to the children. How about compassion and mercy everywhere? How about no more crying, no more tears, no more suffering? How about no more lost? How about no more refugees? How about no more forgotten? John the Baptist pointing to Jesus, says the kingdom of heaven has come near. So in Jesus, in his words, in his actions, in his teachings, in his stories, in his healings, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, everything that opposes God loses out and everything that expresses God's purposes and love comes about that would be an awesome disruption, right? The Apostle Paul puts it like this. God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself. It's a bold claim that even though suffering, even though warfare, even though injustice, even though pain, even though death, all these things still sa uh, savage and sting us, and affect creation, these forces have become impotent. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Disruption. And because the kingdom of heaven has come near, John the Baptist, this guy in the wilderness, this guy with camel hair and leather belt and eats strange things, he says, repent. Repent. Repent is not just to feel sorry for yourself for what's been going on. Repent is not to feel guilty about life. Repentance is about our basic orientation of our lives. Where are we focused? What are we doing? It means turning from our framework of meaning to another. 
from one way of thinking about self, about others, about God, about life, to a competing and compelling vision that is new and different. That's what it means. Repent. Repentance is never just about turning. It's always turning in response to or because of a truth. And what's the truth? The kingdom of heaven has come near, he says. So repent. It is not turn or burn. It's more like, wow, the kingdom of heaven has come near. That vision draws us so powerfully that it makes us reorient our lives. That's the message. It is recognizing that we've been living in a flawed perspective toward injustice, toward pain, toward power, toward lies, and we have a new way, a new vision, a new reason for living differently. The kingdom of heaven has come near. We see it in Jesus. Healing and love, we see it in Jesus. Peace and forgiveness, we see it in Jesus. Compare compassion and, and care, mercy and light, and it's so compelling, we want to live that way. Disruption. John gets our attention and, and announces that the old is no more and the new is emerging and it comes in Jesus. We're to align our lives, repent, turn toward that way, toward light and life, toward all that expresses God's purposes. John the Baptist disrupts life so we can be oriented toward Jesus, toward the kingdom of heaven. Now, John's word is still so present tense, so pertinent, so important for our lives and our days. Matthew actually tells us that John is speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees because he names them in this passage and it's pretty equivalent to saying he's speaking to the Democrats and the Republicans and the fundamentalists and the liberals because the Pharisees and the Sadducees are representing the opposite ends of the political and the religious spectrum and they have become so stuck in their ways that they're opposing the coming of the kingdom of heaven. And actually these two groups show up arm in arm a few chapters later in the gospel yelling crucify to Jesus they're showing up to say the kingdom of heaven is too much for us it's too much of a disruption that the powers that be don't want to hear it don't want to receive it and they even combat it John is trying to wake us up and challenge bear fruit worthy of repentance that's what matters is how you live how you love is how you serve it's not your bloodline because they're claiming to be related to Abraham it's not your party line it's actually your ethical production line that matters bear fruit how you serve how you love how, you li how your life is lived we're meant to be disrupted so our lives are about serving God and aligning our lives on all that brings about all the things that God cares about and opposes the things that God detests. When are we going to realize that maybe anonymous tutoring at an inner city school is way more valuable than being famous for something? When are we going to realize that 
dishing out meals, maybe serving at our walk-in, serving tea to our walk-in guests on Monday is going to stand eternally way longer than all that we can buy with our six-figure salaries or all the possessions we might accumulate. What is valuable to God and what does God call us to be about? John is trying to help us get it right. Bear fruit with our lives. The kingdom of heaven has come, come near. How shall we live? Fred Rogers lived his life striving to be oriented toward all that expresses and lifts up the things that God cares most about. Compassion, mercy, forgiveness, fortitude, justice, peace, light, life. All of our lives are called to be about these things. And we need the regular, dedicated, practiced, intentional devotion toward all these things that express what God cares most about. Kindness, attentiveness, devotion, peace. It's so easy to contribute to the gloom of the world. The gloom is all around us. Dark shadows, dark landscape. Think about it. Personal lives, public life, family life, so much darkness. It's easy to contribute to the darkness of the world. But John comes on the scene to get our attention. Prepare the way. Disruption. And Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus invites us to mirror God's image, and he shows us how. He says, you too can become light, because God is light. What is all around us is not darkness, it's not despair, but rather a world waiting to be filled with God's light, waiting to be filled with hope, waiting to be filled with peace. God is present. God is at work. God is making all things new. Life is always full of God. It's beauty, not delusional. We're called, all of us, to move forward as God's people with love and light and peace and hope, even now. So, may the disruption of John the Baptist, especially in these Advent days, change us and keep changing us to live each day with faith and with hope, with kindness and love, working with God for the redemption of the world, the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven come near. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, to turn from you is to fall, to turn to you, that is to rise, to align our lives with you, in love, in service, well, that is to abide forever. We seek that way following Christ our Lord. Amen.